And once you have that Bible, go ahead and open up to Acts 22. We are going to continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. We're going to pick it up in verse 22 of chapter 22. And in this section we're in today, found it kind of interesting, not coincidental, that as these elections come to a close, and I would imagine some of us, if not the majority of us find ourselves a bit unhappy at how some of the some of the results turned out, at least to some degree. We come to this section of scripture where Paul comes face to face with somebody in an authoritative position over him, kind of a governmental position for the Jews, if you will, that is dishonorable in his actions. And though at one point Paul lashes out at him in his frustration in response to those actions, which some of us probably find ourselves doing from time to time over those in authority over us, especially regarding politics. Paul's also quick to admit that he was wrong in doing so when he understood who it was that he was in fact talking to, wanting to respect the person's position even if he disagreed with the person's actions which serves as a a great example for us and how we're to view and respond to those that the lord allows to be in our lives in authoritative positions which encompasses a whole amount of people basically everyone to some degree um, basically whether they deserve it or not respecting and honoring them because god says so not based off of the person in their actions. And so we're going to see a great example of that today. We finished up Acts 21 last week, went through first 21 verses of chapter 22. And we saw Paul give his testimony to the Jewish people as he got a chance as they were rioting and he got arrested by the Romans and they gave him the opportunity to speak to the crowd that was coming against him. And so he gets to share his testimony with them. And then today we're going to get to see him have a second chance to share uh, Jesus with the religious leaders. Maybe in his eyes an even greater chance to have an effect on on the Jews in doing so. So let me pray one more time and then we will start in verse 22 and go through the section we're in today. Dear Heavenly Father, again, just want to pray to give reverence to your word, this specific section has some things in it lord that might be hard to swallow because they're they're truths or principles that i can find myself so often falling short in and lord it's always good to remind myself that when i come to something in your word that my life is not in line with i am the one that's wrong and you are the one that's always right And the reason I want to believe that and receive it is because living according to your word is what will always result in the abundant or better life that you intend for me. So I want to be humble and ready to receive at any moment those things in your word that are words of correction. Because at the same time, they're words of exhortation and encouragement into that good, pleasing, and perfect will you have. So Lord, prepare our hearts. We don't want to be hard soil. We want to be soil that receives the seeds of your word so that the roots can grow deep and produce fruit that we can experience and others around us can experience so they can know you just as we have, Lord. And we don't miss out on anything you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 22, Paul starts out with saying, up to this word, they listened to him. Now, if you guys followed us last week, Paul's sharing his testimony. And where we ended was him telling them that God himself had told him, Paul, to basically go and share the good news of Jesus or how to be saved through faith in Jesus with the Gentiles. And so it's up until that point, the people, the Jewish people he's talking to, listen to him. And it says, then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to, to live. So the Jews, they were willing to listen to him 
about salvation through Jesus, about what Jesus did in Paul's life, up until the point that he told them that God's plan wasn't only to save Jewish people through faith in Jesus, but it also was to save Gentiles, basically everyone else, Jews and Gentiles alike. And at that point, they start rioting in and they start wanting Paul to be killed. Because in their minds, the Gentiles or somebody that was of non-Jewish origin, somebody that didn't follow the law, this idea of a Gentile freely being given a relationship with God through nothing more than faith in Jesus, that was unacceptable to them. They had no problem with a Gentile becoming saved, if you will, through becoming a Jew or following the law because that's what they did. And as religious people, that's what they were focused on. But in their minds, for somebody to come and tell them that Jews and Gentiles are on an equal playing field, if you will, because these are self-righteous people and they're, they're, they're focused on their works and that's what makes them good with God. And so for somebody to come and tell them, no, 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 that's not how God views it. We're all sinners. We all need his son to die and pay the price for our sins so we could be forgiven and made right in his eyes. For them, to, for someone to come and say to them, we're all on the equal playing field and we're all saved the same way through faith in Jesus, that was unacceptable to them. Uncomprehendable because of their self-righteousness. And this is how it made me think religious people sometimes are those that are struggling with basing how good they're doing in God's eyes off of their works can react when somebody teaches them the gospel of grace, which is what God's word is, that we're saved through faith and faith alone in Jesus, believing in the work he did for us on the cross, paying the price for our sins so we can be forgiven of our our sins or our trespasses against God. When they hear that, they can want to resist that because in their minds, their righteousness before God in some way or another is based on what they do or what they don't do or what they have done and what they not done. And if they are to believe that truth that you're saved by grace and grace alone, that you need to be saved by grace and grace alone, that you need to believe in Jesus, then that makes all of their efforts pointless, right? Everything they've done, these Jewish people, everything they've done up to this point, all of the sacrifices, all of the the offerings, all, all of it, it wasn't worthless in that God was using it to show them their, their depravity, their need to be saved. But it made no difference in their righteousness before God in that no matter how much they did, they still had sin in their lives that had to be dealt with. So it's only through faith in Jesus. And that is something that they didn't want to believe. It meant that they were no good in God's eyes. It meant that they still had broken fellowship. They still had trespasses that separated them from God. And so they didn't want to accept that. Because if they did have to accept that, then they had to believe in the same Jesus that he was preaching. And admit that, well, if that's the way somebody's saved, then truly the Gentiles can be saved true or the same as us. And it goes on in verse 23, and it says, And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust in the air, the tribune, or the Roman commander, ordered him to be brought, this would be Paul, into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. So remember, Paul had been speaking to these people in Hebrew. So this Roman commander, probably a lot of the soldiers too, except maybe with some exceptions, they didn't understand what he was saying. And all of a sudden, they see the people just start going crazy, you know, at something he says. And so this tribune, he wants them to be questioned. He wants to figure out why everyone's upset. And so he says that Paul, or he orders Paul to be flogged, which was a torturous practice. If you guys are familiar with the Bible, you know that Jesus was flogged as well. And it's basically where they took this whip that uh, it was called like a cat of nine tails. It had these leather straps that came from it. And embedded in those leather straps were either steel, like steel shot, like steel metal balls or iron balls um, that back then in, in, in pieces of like glass or fragments of bone or pottery. And they would whip a person and it would like, in a sense, tenderize their back like a piece of meat. And eventually those jagged pieces of bone and glass or rocks would just embed themselves in that flesh 
And when they'd rip that, that whip out, it would take parts of their flesh too. I mean, it was a gruesome, horrible procedure. And honestly, it was meant to beat someone into confessing their guilt, even if they weren't guilty, or killing them in the process. Because if it went on long enough, it would expose all their organs and they'd eventually die. All right. So this is what they order for Paul. And it was considered such a brutal practice that it wasn't used for Roman citizens, which is something that's important to note because Paul goes on to say in verse 25, but when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen in uncondemned or basically somebody that hadn't gone through a trial and been found guilty of anything? Verse 26 says, but when the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. And so the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And Paul said, yes. And the tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Or maybe he's kind of inferring, how are you a Jewish person able to afford Roman citizenship? Because he could tell he was Jewish, he wasn't Roman, so he had to get it some other way. And he's like, how can you afford this? You're a poor person. And Paul says, but I'm a citizen by birth. Some scholars thinking that maybe his parents had done something for the empire of Rome. Because back then, they, they would sometimes give citizenship, citizen, citizen, citizenship out to people that weren't of Rome that basically were from other places if they served a good purpose for the empire or something. So we don't know for sure, but somehow he was birthed into citizenship. And it says in verse 29, so those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. So Roman citizens had rights A lot like in our own country, a due process of law, if you will, where there were basic proper legal procedures that everyone was entitled to as part of your citizenship. And those hadn't been followed for Paul. If he's a Roman citizen, basically he hasn't been given a trial or anything. And that's what he's informing the soldiers of here. Basically, his rights being violated at this point because he was bound even before he was whipped without being whipped because he was bound without ever being found guilty of anything. His rights had been violated. And this was a punishable offense for the soldiers that were guilty of violating his rights. And that's why they, they're taking this really seriously. Like, we, we got to get out of here. I don't want any part of this. And this tribune, knowing that it would also have been a punishable offense for Paul to lie about such a thing, he's taking him seriously. He's like, there's no way this guy would lie about this. This guy must be truly a citizen. And I just want to stop here for a moment and talk about the example Paul gives us right here, because sometimes I get this question, is it okay as a Christian to stand up for your rights as a citizen, your civil rights, your rights as an American? It actually coming up a lot during the time of COVID restrictions and such with this very passage being quoted and referenced often in justification of people's actions and what paul gives us an example of here is that in our dealings with the world around us there are going to most certainly be times where it is appropriate and even very necessary to stand up for your rights as a citizen all right now here's something though i want to make sure we understand and we need to be cautious of nowhere in this example Do you see Paul mix his Christianity with his rights as a citizen of Rome? And what I mean by that is sometimes we can make the mistake of saying we have the right to do something and call it a God-given right or say that as a follower of Jesus, I have the right to do something that God never ever told us anything about in scripture or never gave us the right to do. Basically what I'm saying is, You don't see Paul sitting here saying, you cannot whip me because I'm a follower of Jesus. Because that is, in fact, not a right that God said he would ever have. Quite the opposite, right? Because we're, in fact, told we're going to be persecuted, which might involve being tortured for Christ, which you see other believers have. And 
it may be a civil right like Paul had that you are trying to stand up for that you have in this country, but not something that God's word has guaranteed you. And it's misrepresenting God to confuse the two or to say that you're doing something in his name when he never, ever gives us direction about it. And unfortunately, we saw some of that going on most recently during those COVID restrictions as well, with people not wanting to follow restrictions being imposed by the governing authorities, which I agree in some instances appeared to be infringing on our constitutional rights, but were not against any clear biblical directives, yet some were using their faith is the reason to justify why they weren't listening to the governing authorities. And here's the thing. If we believe under the law, under the constitution, that our rights are being violated, that there's something we shouldn't be doing, then just don't do it and say that. We don't in any way need to bring God into the conversation to somehow prove a point or add some sort of validity to the choices we're making if he never gives us a command to do something, all right? And here's the thing, especially that's important when God himself commands us to obey the governing authorities he has allowed over us, specifically in Romans 13, 1 through 7, and 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. The only two justifiable reasons that we wouldn't be able to listen to governing authorities in our lives, the first being because they're telling us to do something contrary to God's word, which we don't do that ever, no matter who tells us it. And number two, they're telling us to do something that, like Paul right here, we believe they're infringing on our civil rights in doing. And, and, but there are two different reasons there. And the reason we don't want to mistakenly involve God in it, at least from what I witnessed during COVID, was that Christians started to, and this is the key thing, unnecessarily be seen as rule breakers or problem makers because of our refusal to follow certain directives that we didn't personally agree with that, in a sense, compromised our testimony with people we were trying to witness to, the very people that needed to believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, that was inevitable for some things, okay? And what I mean by that is the Bible makes it very clear that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted if you're going to live a godly life. Actually, Paul says there's no way to live a godly life in 2 Timothy 3.12 without being persecuted, okay? And we should not have a problem with that. Yes, that's kind of scary and hard, but we are told that you're going to be persecuted at some point, and so you're not going to, in a sense, be able to keep everyone happy when you're following what God says in his word. But to unnecessarily, in a sense, bring that persecution on yourself when God isn't telling you to do this or not do this thing and involve him in it can compromise your testimony with people that need to hear about Jesus unnecessarily. And that's what, uh, something that we don't ever want to do in our lives because that is the reason we're here. That is our mission, first and foremost, to tell people about Jesus, not to prove our point, if you will, all right? Remember, we're a part of this, we're a part of another kingdom. We live in this world, but this isn't our home, all right? So that's important to understand. And again, like I said, it's inevitable for some things, all right? There came a point in this church where once we had saw COVID and we saw what was going on, we could no longer stay shut and not gather because we wanted to honor what God's word said in Hebrews 10, 25 about not forsaking the gathering of the saints. And we were willing to do that no matter what persecution we faced because we felt strongly this is what we need to do to honor God's word. So just to make sure that we're, we, what I'm kind of just want to sum up is that we're accurately, accurately calling things as they are, keeping civil issues separate from biblical issues where applicable and sometimes they do overlap. I'm not saying that, but making sure that we're what we're doing, you know, basically is in saying are the same thing. If we're standing up for a civil right and it's something that's not explicitly told to us in scripture, then leave God out of it. 
and just stand up for what you believe your right is. But if it's something that God says to do, then absolutely stand on God's word because that always proves to be beneficial for us. Amen. And should the Lord tarry, this isn't going to be the last time that we have to make these types of choices and make these type of stands. All right. Peter tells us, I just want to leave you with this verse. He says in first Peter two, 15 through 16, it is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you for you are free Yet you are God's slave. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. I just think that's a good verse that kind of shows us like we never want to unnecessarily make God look bad with our actions that may not be wrong, but may be perceived as wrong or evil by those that disagree with him. So if it isn't a biblical principle guiding us, then it's better just to leave him out of it. Amen. Can I get an amen? That's what God's word says. All right. Verse 30 says, but on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. So this Roman commander, he still wants to know what's going on, even though he realizes he's a citizen, he can't really touch him. And so he does what he thinks is the next best thing. I'm just going to bring him to the Jewish Supreme Court, if you will. I'm going to bring him to the religious leaders where they can question him and they can get out of him what he's done. And so here's where Paul gets a second chance. He already got to preach to the Jews. Now he gets to preach to the religious leaders, which I would guess that he's stoked about because quite frankly, there could be a lot more potential for fruit preaching to these guys because all the other Jewish people followed them and looked up to them. So if they get saved, they can save a whole lot of other people. So he's probably stoked about this. And it says, starting in chapter 23, verse 1, and looking intently at the council, Paul said, brothers, again, I just want to stop here and show you that he's identifying, right? He's showing that he cares about him. He's calling them brothers, which are family, all right? That indicates I care about you. I'm the same as you. Now, on the flip side, this would have probably come across is irreverent to them because the priests were all about people worshiping them and looking up to them as like super holy people all right so they're going to have a certain reaction to this paul goes on to say paul said brothers i have lived my life before god in all good conscience up to this day now this is an interesting thing to note too what he approached what he starts his testimony or his sharing of jesus with these guys with telling them that he has lived in a good conscience up to this day. Now, we know that Paul talks about having a good conscience often throughout his word. If you've read his epistles, he's always talking being in good conscience or having a good conscience. Like the idea isn't that he's perfect. It's just that to the best of his ability, he's lived rightly according to God's word or he's right in God's eyes. Now, here's the thing though. He knew that truly to have a good conscience, truly to know that you are guilty of no sin, You can only have that through faith in Jesus. There's no other way you can have a good conscience. And him knowing these brothers, these other Jewish religious leaders who he was part of, he was part of this religious council, he would have known that they could never say this. Even as self-righteous as they appeared on the outside, he knew that you guys yourselves know that you constantly have to be doing sacrifices to pay for sin, all right? That was part of their self-righteousness. So that those that need to constantly do those sacrifices was the proof in their life of having a guilty conscience, of knowing that they weren't perfect in God's eyes. Because the only way, again, to be perfect in God's eyes is through faith in his son. You can try as hard as you want, but there's not a single person here that can say that you are perfect, right? Right? All right? You are mistakenly wrong. You might not be as bad as the person sitting next to you. But here's the thing. God doesn't grade on a scale. All right. He's perfect and he wants a relationship with you. But in order to come into the presence of a perfect God without him smiting you or destroying you because of the evil in you, you have to be perfect as well. And the only way that could have been done was through his son coming and living a perfect life, which we never could have in dying as a perfect sacrifice so that your sins could be paid for by that blood. Amen. All right? Amen. So God did what we could never do because of his love for us. 
And because of that, we can stand here even knowing that we're, we were once guilty. I mean, we did it of the worst sins possible, whatever it might be. But that sacrifice paid for them in full so we can truly sit here with a good conscience in front of God and know that we've been forgiven. Because it's not based on us. It's based on him. Amen? Amen. All right. So I just think that's interesting that he starts out that way because he's trying to appeal to these guys. He's trying to get them to listen. He's like, hey, I know you guys want a good conscience. Here's how you can get it. Verse 2. And it says, the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you... (laughs) I know he's kind of nasty. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So either Paul addressing the priest or the the religious leaders irreverently as brothers, or maybe just the fact that he's sitting there saying that, hey, I have a good conscience, and they look at him as a blasphemer, the way he's talking about saving Gentiles and stuff. So one of those two things, it offends them, and it offends this high priest to such a degree that he orders Paul to be hit in the face, despite that being blatantly against Jewish law, as Paul points out in verse 3. Deuteronomy 25, 1 through 2 is what he's referencing, where it says that a person could not be beaten or physically punished unless they had gone through a trial and been found guilty of something, which Paul hadn't. So he's basically calling him out and saying that, man, you're breaking the law. You're, you're having me beaten before I've even gone through any type of trial. And Paul may be having a moment of anger here, which is not how we're supposed to respond to evil. If you know the Bible, we're not supposed to do that. But it would appear he had a moment of weakness here, which shows us Paul's a normal guy. He's saved by grace, but he still can slip up. And he rebukes Ananias for his actions in judging him when he was guilty of breaking the law himself. It not being wrong or inaccurate what Paul's saying, but maybe out of the wrong emotion. Paul accusing him of being a whitewashed wall. And the idea of that is that like they would take these tombstones and when they got really dirty, they'd kind of bleach them. They'd whitewash them on the outside to make them good on the outside. But the inside, they were still kind of dirty. And so that's kind of the idea. He's saying that you look good on the outside, but you're a hypocrite. He's like, you're the one that's supposed to be representing God's law and being perfect in it. And here you are ordering people to break it that's kind of what he's getting at and this just on a side note historically this high priest ananias was one of the most corrupt high priests ever so corrupt that when paul tells him god's going to strike him down in verse three that ends up turning out to be prophetic in that he's assassinated by his own people because of his corruption later on in his life but all, all the other members of the sanhedrin they they basically see paul talking to the high priest this way They know what God's word says, and they accuse him of being irreverent. And Paul, not knowing that it was the high priest he was addressing, which there's different ideas on why that might be. He hadn't been to Jerusalem for or like a part of the the council for like 20-something years, so he might not have known the leadership had to change. Some people think his eyesight was bad because of different things that are said in scriptures, and he couldn't see who he was talking to or who was addressing him. We don't know for sure. But Paul, not knowing it was a high priest, he immediately understands and acknowledges he made a mistake when that's brought to his attention. And he quotes Exodus 22, 28, which basically says that the people of Israel were not to dishonor. They were to honor leadership. And he realizes he was wrong in the way he was talking to them. And he he makes it clear to them. He's like, I'm I'm sorry, I, I was wrong. Like, I didn't know who I was talking to. And I want to just end on that point because in, in spin some, when I say I end, it means I'm going to go another 20 minutes. But um, all that to say, I, I, want to, I, want to, I want to really like spend some time talking about this example that we see here with Paul because this is something that applies to all relationships in our life. This idea of honoring people God has put in our lives because he didn't just tell people back in Exodus to honor their leadership. He tells us all throughout the Bible. And he gives us specific examples of honoring people. One of them being in Romans 12, 10, 
where Paul says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other or respecting each other. That's a general command right there. So that applies to everyone in your life. As a follower of Jesus Christ, God calls us to respect and honor each other. Okay? Now, in the context of the governing authorities or those in kind of authoritative positions over us in the world, God has uh, told, or he tells us through Peter in 1 Peter 2.17, respect everyone and love the family of believers, fear God and respect the king, or respect those in charge. Paul also tells us in Romans 13.1 through 2, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. And you have to remember who Paul and Peter are talking about in these days, okay? Because the authorities they had in Rome were not good dudes, all right? These were people that persecuted and killed Christians in horrible ways. Nero basically having... Uh, Christians dipped in wax and burned is like living candles, okay? These are the people that he has in mind when he's saying, we got to respect and honor these guys, that God's allowed to come in authority. God's not the one behind their evil, but we're to respect and honor these guys. So often we can be tempted not to honor, not to respect those in authority over us, or rather respond to him kind of like Paul did in his anger, saying evil things, calling him out on, on things that we don't like because of one of two reasons. Either we don't agree with them on something, like we have different views or whatnot, or we think they handle something differently than we would, whatever. We look at them that way, and because of that difference of opinion, we view them negatively, we say negative things. Or, in fact, like Paul, they're actually corrupt, or they actually do things that are wrong and bad, Okay. But as with Paul, we must recognize that we're called to honor the position regardless of whether the person in it is honorable or not. See, like I said, that can be the reason why we don't want to honor it. But what God says, he doesn't give a condition. He doesn't say submit and respect and honor if the person is good or bad. That's not what he says. It's not a conditional thing. He's just saying just respect and honor the position as unto the Lord or basically as a part of your service to the Lord. Why? Because God tells you to. Okay? That's why. Trusting that God has allowed that person to be there for a reason that ultimately is for our benefit. Maybe it doesn't appear that way, but we know that God only desires good things for us. Okay? And then secondly, also having confidence in the fact that even if those in authority act in a wrong way, as Ananias did with Paul... God's big enough to protect you from their mistakes, all right? We can have the worst president in the whole entire world, but is God's hand too short to keep his promises to us? No. That is something that's important to remind ourselves, all right? Because it doesn't change the fact that you're a child of God and he has made specific promises to you no matter who's in authority, And that should bring you so much peace and comfort when things don't go your way in elections or you're just like, I can't believe this crazy guy is leading the country. He may be leading the country, but guess who's leading the universe? The God that's on your side, right? We got to remember that. Now, this doesn't mean that we endorse evil or those that stand for it, but it means that as long as we're here on this earth, we respect and honor those in authority over us while at the same time, Working toward leaving this world better than when we found it. And how do we do that? We do the same thing God told the Israelites to do when they were exiled to a a pagan kingdom, to Babylon. Basically what Jeremiah, what God told them to do through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, 5 through 7. He told them, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. 
for its welfare will determine your welfare. Now, just like the, the Israelites in Babylon, this isn't our home. That wasn't their home. They were only going there for a drop in the bucket compared to all time, 70 years, all right? And they were just passing through. God was going to restore them eventually. So just like them, this isn't our home. We're just passing through. But what God has said, while you're here, you're seeking the betterment of this place, all right? You're praying for it. You're seeking peace and prosperity. You're multiplying, not just having kids, but... Some of us are really good at that. Um, We've done our part. (laughs) But multiplying in that you're trying to make Christians. You're trying to get people saved, right? So how we practically do this until Jesus comes back is we tell people the good news. We love him in his name. We share his word with him. We stand up and vote for policies that align with his word. We vote to put people in positions of authority that love him. We volunteer ourselves to be on committees or political positions. Or if the Lord leads you, you put yourself in a position to stand up for what you know is right and true. And while we do this, we can trust the Lord to sovereignly act in what needs to happen presently to usher in what we know will happen prophetically. Right? Right? Because we know how it ends. And according to Titus 2.13, how it ends with Jesus coming back is our blessed hope. Hope is that sure expectation of coming good. Blessed means happy. So the sure expectation of how things are going to turn out, that's your expectation of good. That is what makes you happy. Not how elections turn out. All right. It's our hope is in how things are going to surely turn out. And so we do our part to seek the betterment. And then we just trust it to God. And we can trust God because he's never, ever not kept a promise to us. And he never, ever not will. Amen. Now, this principle is important because it doesn't just apply to politics. It also applies to every other relationship in your life. This principle of honoring those in authority. All right. In the context of the people you work for, Peter says in 1 Peter 2.18, you who are slaves or have bosses, you must submit to your masters with all respect. That can be hard. Well, they don't treat me right. Or they don't, they're just idiots who I work for. They could do it better. Or I could do it better. Or they don't do it the way I want. Or I just don't see eye to eye. They're corrupt. Still supposed to respect him. In the context of your spiritual leaders, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13, dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. For you young people, anyone here young, still living with your parents? Oh, there's my son. I'll talk to you. All right. Here's what it says in Ephesians 6, 1 through 13. My other son's right there. <laughs> He's stuck. All right. It says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Out of the billions of parents that have come and gone in this earth, young people, God chose yours for you. And he doesn't make mistakes. And even if they're sometimes wrong in their decisions, which surely I am, God is big enough to protect you through any bad decision they're making. And it's not a reason not to honor and respect them because he has your best interests in mind always. Amen? In the context of marriage, Paul says in Ephesians 5.33, So again I say, Each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Wives, I know your husband is a knucklehead sometimes. Guess who knows that even more? God. Because he doesn't miss anything. But here's the thing. God is bigger than his mistakes. All right? And as long as you honor God in doing what he says, he can honor you. Now, I want to make it really clear. I am not talking about enduring any type of abusive relationship, 
God does not call you to remain under that. And you can honor your spouse or your parents or your employer while at the same time removing yourself from anything that is abusive or unhealthy. But I want to be really clear, just because they don't agree with you, just because they don't see eye to eye with you, that doesn't make them abusive, okay? And the Lord, what we got to remember, has allowed us to be in these situations we're in politically, parentally, maritally, relationally, for our good and his glory. So we're called not to revile or criticize those he has put an authority over us, but rather honor and respect them as unto him or as a part of our service to him, knowing that he's sovereign and in control. And when we do that, here's the thing. When you do that, when things don't go the way you want in the elections, you can accept it and say, so be it, whatever. I did my part. I voted, stood for what was right. At the end of the day, I know how this thing ends. So I'm just on mission. Amen. I'm seeking the betterment of this world as long as I'm here. And the ultimately that's going to come through being the light for Jesus. All right. You can, young people, you can say to your parents when you are honoring as unto him, you can say, yes, mom. Yes, dad. Even if you don't agree, you can say that and you can trust God that he will take care of you. You'll be able to say to your spouses, yes, honey. Even if you think they're way off their thinking. You'll be able to tell your boss, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. Even if you think they lost their mind, you do it completely different. You can still do that. And here's the thing. God will be able to bless you for your obedience. Amen? Amen. Well, as the worship team comes up here, you know, as I, I was really praying as I led up to this, because this is what I would call a hard word to give, because I know you guys very well and there's some of you that probably would not receive this like at least that good knowing conversations i've had with you but here's the thing i'll tell you right up front i can't promise i'm always going to tell you what you want to hear but i will promise that i will always tell you what you need to hear because here's the thing if i'm going to teach the whole counsel of god's word inevitably there is going to be some hard things to swallow okay because we're none of us are perfect we're all works in progress and whenever you come to one of those hard things, it's the difference. It's what Paul calls in 1 Corinthians 3 to the solid food of the word versus the milk. He basically says how like when I first came to you guys, all I gave you was milk. I gave you the stuff that was easy to swallow, that was easy to digest, just like an infant. But now that you're maturing, here's the solid food. Here's the stuff that it's not so easy to digest. You got to be mature to digest it. You got you to chew on it a bit before you actually swallow it. It's the stuff when Paul's talking in Romans 12 too, and he says, don't be conformed to this world anymore. It's the stuff that when you hear it and you realize, man, my life is not right in this area. I'm not respecting and honoring this person as God tells me to. And instead of kind of fighting against that, you humble yourself and you, 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 you understand that, well, I'm not doing this right. God's obviously right and I'm wrong and I want to do it right. So I need to repent. I need to say, I'm sorry. I need to ask God to help me be not conformed to this world, but renew my mind, change my mind, change my thinking, change my actions so it reflects what God's word actually says because the reality the example we see today is the way of jesus and what we will believe and receive and ask him to help us live out in our lives if we truly want to follow him because here's the thing to hate those that don't deserve to be honored and respected that's easy our flesh can do that that's what the rest of the world does there's nothing that needs to be changed in you to do that but to love those that don't deserve to be respected and honored. That's exactly what God did for you and me. That's the love of Jesus. And when we demonstrate to people that to people, they are able to see the love of God through you. And you will have the opportunity to tell them why. And that's why it's so important that we follow God's word. And the other part of it is it frees us from those ugly feelings that are no fun to carry around, like anger and bitterness and hurt, discontentment, all those things that come with being angry at people. 
not respecting, not honoring them, looking at them the wrong way instead of the right way. And again, we can do this. We can respect and honor. And in no way we're justifying wrong actions. We're not saying somebody that's a person that's guilty of sin is like sinless or they're guilty of doing bad things that somehow they're good. That's not what we're saying at all. We're just saying, I'm going to choose to respect the position because God tells me to, as unto him, because he tells me that that's the reason I'm going to do it. And I know that that will amount to good things for me. And hopefully I get to set an example for them where I get to share Jesus because he can help them with those bad things in their lives. Amen? And I had, as I was going through this, I couldn't help but think that there's some of us that need... I, I know I had to do this this week. I had to repent because I had a lot of wrong feelings in my heart with the elections and some other just thinking wrongly about people. And I had to repent as I was reading this because the Holy Spirit was convicting me. And I couldn't help but think there's probably, there's for sure, some other people in here. You have the wrong feelings towards your spouse. You have the wrong feelings towards your parent. You have the wrong feelings to your bosses. Maybe you have it to political officials in power and authority. And now's your chance today to do what John tells us in 1 John 1, 9, to repent of your sins and know that if you confess your sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Knowing that Jesus paid the price for those sins, you're not shocking him in any way that you're struggling with this. He already paid the price for that sin. So you can know that you're forgiven of it. You can have an absolute clear conscience, just like we talked about earlier with Paul, all right? But here's the thing. When you humble yourself and admit this is wrong, I don't want to think this way. This is what God says. I don't want to view this person this way. That is what allows God to help you. That is what allows the Holy Spirit to empower you to live and think the right way. All right? Because if we never repent, if we never admit we're wrong, we're in a sense being what the Bible calls stiff-necked. We're cutting God off from being able to help us because we're never even giving him the chance. If we know we're guilty and we're just saying, I don't care, I'm going to keep feeling this way about my spouse, I'm going to keep feeling this way because they deserve it. They do deserve it. But grace is not about what somebody deserves. And if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to admit that, if you're not willing to say, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm wrong. God, help me have the right heart. Then he can't help you. And it's not because he doesn't want to. It's because you're cutting him off. You're telling him, I don't want your help. I'm going to stay in this negative, ugly feeling, this bitterness, this anger, because that just feels much better. That's basically what we're saying. If we think about it, it doesn't feel good to be that way. God wants to free you of that and release you from it. It's what's keeping your marriage from being blessed. It's what's keeping your relationship with your parents from being awesome. It's what's keeping you from enjoying your workplace. God wants to give you freedom in all those things, but we can be our own worst enemies. And today's the opportunity for you to be released of that. For that bitterness and anger to be gone. For God to start that healing process in you. Today's the day where those relationships can start being restored. If you're willing to let God be involved. But it starts with you. It always starts with us. All through the Bible. What what precedes revival is repentance. And so what we're going to do. We're going to have communion this morning. And we will have a chance. This is something we should do anytime we have communion. We should be honest with God. If there's any sin in our lives, anything that we need to confess. Again, this isn't for his benefit. He already knows. Jesus died on that cross knowing all the sin you'd be guilty of and paying for it in full. This is for our benefit. So there's no weirdness. We're not mistakenly trying to hide something from God in shame. We have a clear conscience. We come out. We tell God. We take that bread, we take that juice, we remember his sacrifice, which is huge, on the cross that paid the price for those sins, knowing we're forgiven. And in repenting, we ask God, we acknowledge, God, you're right, and I'm wrong about this. I need your help. And when we're honest with him, he's like, amen. I can help you now. I can help you do what you can't do in your own power. I can give you the grace to look at that person the right way, whether they deserve it or not. So during this last song, I'm going to encourage you, come up, 
Get the communion elements. Go back to your seat. Confess any sin that's in your life. Ask God to help you. Take those communion elements on your own. Rejoice in the fact that your sins have been paid for and you are as right as you could ever be in God's eyes. And then move forward from this place knowing that he wants to help you live in that freedom that he's given you to do what you can never do on your own through the power of his spirit to love your spouse, whether you think they deserve it or not, even if they have messed up, to love your parents, to love everyone and honor and respect them the way he wants us to so that we can be in a witness for him and we can be free of any of those horrible feelings he doesn't want us carrying around. Amen? Amen. We'll have our prayer team around the room. I'm gonna encourage you too, if you're somebody today that this is the first time you've heard the good news of Jesus and you haven't received that forgiveness that we've talked about today, you can receive it. He died, Jesus died on that cross for you as well. And that's why you're here today. God brought you here so that you first and foremost could be saved and have a relationship with him. And from that point, then as he reveals himself to you and he shows you the things in your life that aren't good for you, he helps you with those things so you can experience true life that can only be found in him. But that's something we can't do on our own. We need God's help. And so that's the first thing I would encourage you to do even before coming up and getting these elements because they mean nothing to you unless you've really placed your faith in Jesus. So receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and we'll be around the room to lead you in a prayer to do that if you if you want help. But come up and get saved. Then take the communion elements and give worth to the sacrifice Jesus made for you. Amen? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, I'm so thankful, Lord, for your word. Thankful, Lord, that it's like, it is, it's a sword, as you say. It receives, or it, it reveals, it cuts through the lies that we believe in of the enemy and our flesh and reveals truth to us. And even sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in those lies and be thinking negatively of people because of things they've done to us or ways they've affected our lives. And even though those things are wrong, Lord, you tell us to love them, to respect them, to honor them. Even as we did so many wrong things, we still do wrong things against you, but you love and respect us. You honor us. You've given us the ultimate example in how to view others. And we could never do it on our own. We admit that. We need your help. And so we want to be honest with you when we're struggling with this, when we're struggling with any sin in our lives, knowing you've paid for it. You don't condemn us. We're, we're, we're free of it so that you can help us live in that freedom. May we just listen to your voice as you speak to us during this time. In Jesus' name, amen.